We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. The U.S. Constitution obligates our government to preserve and protect the rights that our founders recognize come from God, our creator, not our government. I believe that scripture in the Bible is very clear that God is the one that raised up each of you and God has allowed us to be brought here to this specific moment in time. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Good morning. Uh, Good morning. It's great to be back with you. Some of you may have noticed that we had to air a best of program yesterday. Occasionally that will happen if um, some something urgent comes up that I cannot be here and we can't uh, get a guest host in time and uh, more on that in just a moment. But uh, first, the Alabama Supreme Court has declared frozen embryos are children. This is a great uh, ruling out of the Alabama Supreme Court. So this coming from the Hill this morning, Alabama Supreme Court has ruled that frozen embryos are children under state law and subject to legislation dealing with the wrongful death of a minor, stating that it, quote, applies to all unborn children, regardless of their location, unquote. This is Excellent. That uh, absolutely should be true, that uh, all of the applicable laws and rights that are protected for every human being should apply to every human being, regardless of their location. Um, There is no difference in the inherent dignity of a child, whether they are in the womb, out of the womb, whether um, they are in uh, the air versus on land versus in the sea. Right. I mean, it, it just it doesn't matter the location. And so the Hill goes on to say the court issued this majority decision in a lawsuit brought forth by a group of in vitro fertilization or IVF patients whose frozen embryos were destroyed in December 2020 when a patient removed the embryos from a cryogenic storage unit and dropped them on the ground. ABC says this, Alabama voters in 2018 agreed to add language to the Alabama Constitution that state policy uh, to recognize the rights of unborn children. Supporters at the time said it would be a declaration of voters' beliefs and would have no impact unless states gain more control over abortion access. States gained control of abortion access in 2022. Critics said at the um, critics at the time said it would have broad ramifications for civil and criminal law beyond abortion access, and that is essentially a personhood measure that would establish constitutional rights for fertilized eggs. So you can tell how uh, some media, of course, ABC not being a particularly uh, Christian or biblical outlet at all, uh, is trying to frame this story. And so this is why it's always um, interesting, and I, I always read headlines from. Uh, multiple sources, and, and obviously we'll we'll air them here as well, because um, when we're dealing with issues of inherent uh, moral dignity, things that are not issues of policy or things that are debatable, uh, then then we always have to look at how the left is framing the issue, uh, because generally they will frame it uh, poorly and and incorrectly, because they of course are pushing 
for uh, what they call abortion access, which is basically the uh, the protected right to intentionally kill a human being. And so um, so this is a, a fantastic decision from the Alabama Supreme Court. And, um, you know, IVF is is and can be controversial uh, with frozen embryos. There's a lot to discuss and break down um, on that that we don't even have time for this morning. But I will predict that this will probably be um, appealed and this decision uh, may end up in the U.S. Supreme Court because of the ramifications on uh, on on what the left's agenda is dealing uh, with the issue of life. And so this could end up going back in front of um, virtually the same Supreme Court, um, at least the same composition in terms of conservatives of the Supreme Court uh, as overturned Roe. So uh, there's a lot to pray for. And um, there is still even in the midst of, I think, a a difficult uh, year and an upcoming um, presidential cycle. And then, of course, all the way down ticket. And when we're looking at, you know, the economy, when we're looking at Biden, you know, some of these things that we often deal with that aren't as uh, as as um, as conservative leaning and and issues that maybe uh, we aren't necessarily winning on sometimes. Um, This is a great thing coming out of Alabama. There's still a lot of good that is being done uh, by conservatives across the country, and uh, we need to thank the Lord for that, and we need to uh, pray that this decision will stand and that it will be expanded um, beyond just Alabama's Supreme Court because it's the right thing, and it's the right thing when um, we look at the science, when <laughs> the left uh, claims that they want to look at the science, but they really don't. They just want to always uh, manipulate reality, redefine reality to shape their own partisan uh, preferences. And we as conservatives need to always start with objective moral truth and reality and then shape our policy perspectives to conform with truth. So uh, turning now to to a story that impacted me personally, um, I was not here, as I mentioned, uh, yesterday morning, and we had to, to play a best of because I was in the emergency vet with um, one of my little puppies, and I know a lot of you out there follow them on their Instagram. You can find them at two dudes underscore copper and Todd, um, dudes, of course, D-O-O-D-S, because they're little mini golden doodles, and um, and they, they are just, you know, my, my best friends here, and, um, and a lot of you write in sometimes and say, we haven't heard Todd and Copper uh, talking today. And then I had actually a, a, a response from a listener saying, um, you know, I really appreciate that uh, you don't get upset or anything when, you know, if one of your puppies is barking in the background, I'm thinking, you know, I've, um, I'm happy and grateful that, um, that they also serve as, um, you know, a little bit of, of, uh, of protection, you know, in my home and they don't know the difference, uh, when I'm on the air versus when I'm not. And, um, so, you know, if a guest is speaking then I try to mute my microphone really quickly, but you know, sometimes you'll hear them barking in the background if it's, um, if it's me and, you know, it's just, it's, it's the same thing in a way as um, as little kids where you know they they don't necessarily know and they're still learning and um, you know you just have to be be patient with them and they're really really well behaved uh, dogs just like kids um, generally like my my nephews and my niece are really really good kids but they're still kids and you have to be patient with them and uh, and still love them but um, yesterday I was in the um, emergency vet and and uh, the day before with uh, with copper because I take them outside on a longer walk before we come on air and then um, when I 
was taking them out after the radio show yesterday, I noticed that Copper was kind of wobbly and I thought his leash was just maybe tangled around him. Um, But then I looked at his eyes and they were almost like rolling back in his head and he looked like he was having a seizure. And of course, I was completely terrified and just picked him up. And thankfully, we were in walking distance um, to a uh, to their primary care vet, um, with, thankfully. And so I literally just picked him up and Todd was with me and we just ran over to the vet who was open. Um, they got him in really quick, um, did some tests. And what ended up happening is that he had apparently found um, some kind of marijuana that was on the ground. And of course, you know, as puppies, they love uh, chasing leaves. They love picking up sticks. Um, I, you know, I try to look for anything that they're eating that they're not supposed to, like, you know, if there's something plastic on the ground. Um, there have been orange peels, you know, laying around um, from from kids who are, you know, out in the neighborhood. Um, but this, I had no idea until... Uh, speaking with my vet, and then we ended up having to go to um, to the hospital, the the vet hospital with Copper, and he got you know some fluids, and he's totally okay. But I had no idea until talking to them, and then doing a little bit of research online, how big of a deal this is. And here in Florida, marijuana is not even legal, so you know this was uh, this was illegal all the all the way around but in my former home state of Colorado Colorado was one of the first to legalize marijuana and people think um, generally I mean not not Christians because we should always be very careful that we are not um, using or abusing any um, type of substance that um, you know can alter um, our minds I mean this is why the Bible says do not be drunk with wine um, you know, when, whenever we, we have, um, and of course, you know, there are different prescription medications and, and things that, um, you know, you're going to have to make that decision for yourself. But, uh, but in terms of recreational marijuana and people who just want to get high on purpose, every state that has gone down that road has suffered just drastic consequences and has gotten worse for legalizing it. And I had no idea that, um, that this has even impacted a lot of pets and particularly dogs. So the American Kennel Club says this, as a result of the drug marijuana's increased accessibility, there has been a significant increase in the reports of dogs suffering from marijuana toxicosis. The Animal Poison Control Center, for example, reported a staggering 765% increase in calls about pets ingesting marijuana in 2019 compared with the same period the previous year. The Pet Poison Helpline also saw an increase of more than 400% in the number of calls they took about marijuana-related incidents over a six-year period. And um, and this is this is just showing how people who are advocating for legalizing marijuana uh, and say that this is a victimless crime because people, you know, this is about bodily autonomy and we've all heard all of those arguments. Well, there are always ancillary, unintended, but perfectly foreseeable consequences. And um, treating pets and especially for um, for pets that unfortunately may live with owners who use this substance. Um, there are a lot of articles as well saying that dogs can even get um, secondhand high from if an owner is smoking. 
um, in in a room where the pet is, which I think is completely abusive. Um, and that's also true for children, by the way. Um, but this also happened to Dana Perino's dog a couple of years ago. Um, her little pet, Percy, um, who is who's a really sweet dog. Um, she had a, a post on social media talking about this happening because apparently her dog, while um, in New York, somehow picked up the end of a uh, of a marijuana joint and ingested it. And the video that she posted of her dog just, you know, shaking and looking um, just completely out of it is terrifying. And this is so sad. And so she ended up having um, a whole segment about it and how vets are treating more dogs for marijuana poisoning. And uh, this is what the veterinarian said. This is cut five. Obviously, it has become so much more common with the legalization and popularization of, you know, the the drug. Uh, it's really unfortunate. And it's rarely fatal, but it is they have more what are called cannabinoid receptors in their brain than humans do. So they're a lot more sensitive to the THC component of marijuana. And if they ingest something as like a, like an edible, like maybe a cookie or something or a piece of candy or something that somebody like throws down or whatever, um, is it just that it's more potent in that way for a dog like that? It's potent in any way they could get it. One thing we have to watch for is, you know, the, the chocolate brownie, because chocolate contains a substance, theobromine, which is also toxic. So it's like a double whammy. So that was Dr. Marty Goldstein, who's a veterinarian. And Copper's test, um, he ended up have, having a drug test, like the one that you would expect from a human, um, that came back for synthetic marijuana. And so when people are advocating for legalizing pot, I mean, they're not just talking about the little plant that you home grow. I mean, being a, pros- a former prosecutor in Colorado, I had to learn about a lot of this because I would prosecute a lot of cases um, that were... Uh, driving under the influence, uh, not just of alcohol, but of drugs. And some of the drug recognition experts that law enforcement was having to hire, because there are so many different strains of this, and there are strains that they're particularly, uh, dispensaries are trying uh, to promote that you, that have a higher concentration of THC, which is of course the um, the chemical that that gets a person high, um, so that you get high faster. And the, these types of things are just escalating how far we are approving as um, under the rule of law and civil society, just approving some of these things for individuals that have really terrible consequences for society. And so this isn't just a matter of freedom. And a lot of people saying, well, we can't legislate around people's individual choices because where would that stop then? So then are we going to you know, outlaw chocolate because that's also bad for dogs? Well, no, there is a, an amount of Um, obviously personal responsibility and some of these things that are just sometimes accidents like what happened to Dana Perino's dog and what happened to Copper. But at the same time, of course, society can say, no, we're not going to um, encourage and allow these things and these substances to be legalized in recreational form and encourage this type of just madness and licentiousness that continues to happen. So thankfully, thank you so much for everyone who prays um, for my little puppy. He's doing really well. He's perfectly okay. And I sincerely appreciate it. We'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning.
Last year, because of you, Preborn's network of clinics saw over 58,000 babies saved. Thank you to all who made this possible. Let's celebrate these precious babies. Daisy and her husband decided they never wanted kids. When she found out she was pregnant, she immediately thought abortion. But after she and her husband met her baby on an ultrasound and heard the heartbeat, their hearts melted and they chose life. Her baby Jeffrey is healthy and beautiful. Daisy and her husband can't even imagine life without him. Each of these babies are truly miraculous, and every day, Preborn celebrates 200 miracles. $28 a month can be the difference between the life and the death of a child. When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection that doubles the baby's chance at life. Let's join together and help mothers choose life. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And we had a few listeners write in during the break asking for the Instagram page again. So that is two dudes, D-O-O-D-S, two dudes underscore Copper and Todd. And speaking of a society that's laws should reflect um, a moral and upright society, that is the purpose of a legitimate government is to both encourage and incentivize good moral and upright behavior and punish and and outlaw uh, bad behavior and morally derelict behavior, immoral behavior. Um, so that that's the purpose of, of a legitimate government. It's not just to arbitrate contract disputes or um, or or have a, as much minimal contact as possible so that people are free to behave however they want, or as the Old Testament would say, um, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Um, that's not a legitimate moral society. And so this headline uh, coming from Pew Research, among young adults without children, men are more likely than women to say they want to be parents someday. This is really fascinating that it's more men than women. And so there's a, a couple of graphs in this article. And the first one is young men without children are more likely than young women to say they want to be parents someday. Among all who don't have children, 51% total want to, so only about half. Isn't that so sad? Uh, but men, 57%, women, 45%, don't want to. 18% overall, 15% of men uh, say that they don't want to have children if they don't have them, and women, 21%. So uh, this is this is really sad, and I think just a result of a, of a godless society that is further... Um, suppressing the truth and unrighteousness and not incentivizing the family unit and protecting the traditional family as God has designed it. So joining me now to talk about all this and more is a very familiar voice, uh, Walker Wildman, who is the vice president here at the American Family Association and host of At The Core. And Walker, um, this was honestly really discouraging to read. Yeah, it really was, Jenna. The 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 stats here from the Pew, this Pew Research uh, uh, poll and study um, is is rather shocking, even to people who keep up with this stuff, um, because of the numbers. I mean, you mentioned the uh, in the study more young men wanted children than young women, which is quite unnatural when you look at how God created things and the maternal instincts that women have. Um, 
but this is this is a further sign of of, of where our country has been tri- drifting for decades, and it's this this society where uh, having children is kind of this this thing you can do. It's more of a luxury, but if you don't want to. There's no problem, and and we actually now, instead of it being this neutral thing, we actually have a society now that in many ways discourages having children, looks down upon having children. I mean, as a dad of four, I walk around sometimes with four boys, six and under, and I get looks like I'm from Mars or something. I mean, how I can't believe they've got four kids. I mean, this is uh, how do you do it? You know, and you get these 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 like jaw dropping reactions when when we really should be walking around. And if you don't have kids, it should be like, so what are y'all doing? <laughs> you right. know, uh, when do, when are y'all planning to have kids? But instead, it's the opposite. Having kids is this kind of odd thing now in America, 2024. So, uh, but to your point. It's a very revealing study, and as Christians, we have to address this because this is an issue of biblical significance. Absolutely it is, and it isn't uh, a, a luxury issue, as, as you mentioned, and I think that, it, it, that it's so fascinating to see how so many articles from uh, other secular sources are trying to put having kids almost in this vanity category, and especially with uh, how people are... Um, are viewing having children. There was a, another headline that I read recently that said um, it, it, raising a child from birth to age 18 costs approximately you know $250,000 across uh, that time period. And so who would ever want to spend that amount of money? Be very careful. Know the, the investment, quote unquote. And, and I'm thinking yeah. people spend more than that, honestly, on, on their pets sometimes or definitely right. on their cars, other actual luxury items. I mean, what are we saying to society when having kids isn't just the norm? It's considered this major decision that we're not sure if we want to participate in. Yeah, it's it's sending a very uh, a wrong message, a very sad message in the long run because there are multiple factors here. And let me just disclaim that there, there's always going to be singles in society. I mean, you know this, Jenna. There's always going to be people who can't have kids for medical reasons, but maybe they can foster or adopt. So there's always the exceptions out there, right? And there's nothing unbiblical, immoral about that. But as far as where the majority of society is going to see these numbers where only half want kids is rather shocking uh, when you look historically. Um, but as far as the uh, the long-term implications here, this is a, this is, this is, I believe, and and people may think I'm overstating this, but I'll tell you I'm not in the long run. This is an issue of national significance. I think it's a national security issue, and here's why. Um, When we are not replacing our very own, right, when we're not having two or more that replace us and we're not at replacement levels, which we haven't been since the 70s, um, the only other way to grow as a nation, right, and flourish is to import foreigners, all right? And and once again, America is a nation of immigrants, so there's nothing there's nothing immoral about immigrants coming to America legally. But but the problem is is when you're replacing Americans at such a drastic rate with foreigners who don't really know how to be an American, what it means to be an American, why is America here, what about the Constitution, founding fathers, all of those things that have to be taught that take time for people to learn. That's a dangerous path because you end up with a nation where half of the people or more 
don't even know what we're doing or why we're here as a country. And that's what we're seeing now with our with our border as open as it is. And I'm speaking with Walker Wildman, who is the vice president of the American Family Association and uh, the radio station that you're currently listening to and also host of At The Core uh, here on AFR. And I think you raised such a great point, Walker, that this is about national security. It's about the uh, the future identity of uh, America and our trajectory and understanding the Judeo-Christian principles that we were founded on. And this other uh, graphic that was part of research uh, suggests that most young adults don't feel pressure from their parents to get married or have children. And uh, and this is also really fascinating. Among young adults who have never been married, the percentage saying they um, feel pressure from their parents to get married someday, none uh, or not much at all is 73%. And among adults mm-hmm. who do not have children, 67% say they feel not much or any pressure at all from their parents um, to have children someday. And you know, speaking as, as a single person who I want to get married, I want to have a family, and God has not yet in his providence provided that, so I am dedicating my life to ministry uh, uh, until that happens, but I have been praying for that, and, 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 and I'm part of a local church because God commands that. And so, of course, there are always those anomalies, right? And, and there are also people, of course, who are married, who, as you said, can't have kids. But what does it say about the state of the church and among uh, what should be a Christian society that young adults aren't even feeling pressure from their parents to follow God's design for the family? I can tell you, my parents ask me every day, have you met anybody? Yeah. We're praying for you. <laughs> I mean, it's and it's not pressure. It's, it's the good, right kind of pressure. And I'm thankful for sure. that. Yeah, absolutely. It's called expectations, right? I mean, we have expectations, whether it be from society or from our parents, that we feel like we want to meet, right? Because we want to make them proud. We want to honor their legacy. We want to honor their hard work. And I think having children is just one of those expectations that, that most most parents uh, that, that want to be grandparents, uh, seeing their young kids grow up to be adults and hopefully get married, uh, them having children and grandchildren is is a very natural expectation, right? Uh, who doesn't want to be a grand? Uh, everybody that that ends up being a grandparent loves being a grandparent. It's just such a blessing. But it really it really gets down to as far as that part of the Pew Research study where where the majority of these young adults that we're talking about aren't even feeling pressure or incentive to to, to have children, get married, and have children. I think that flows from this this secular culture of of undermining authority, right? And mm-hmm. and and you can't really listen to your parents because they don't know what they're talking about and you just do what you want to do and if your parents come in and and try to encourage you to have children or get married then they're being these patriarchs and that was what's wrong with our founding fathers. I mean it goes into this whole undermining of Western civilization, undermining of Judeo-Christian values, where looking up to your parents, respecting your grandparents is not really a thing anymore. And so we just got to bring all this back. I mean, we've really just got to get back to a society and a country where children are a blessing from the Lord, where having children is is a celebrated thing. It's, a, it's an incentivized thing through all of society. And even, I'm not a big fan of big government, but government no doubt, undoubtedly is going to have to do things to incentivize uh, the, the having of children. I mean, they're going to have Absolutely. to. We can't keep shrinking as a population and, and expect this to be sustainable in the long run. 
Yeah, and, and to that point, um, it used to be that the government was incentivizing marriage by uh, giving tax breaks, by you know right of survivorship, some of these things. And unfortunately, the left has now manipulated the state's involvement in marriage by suggesting that because uh, the, the state is the one that gives marriage licenses, now they can redefine what a marriage looks like and can say that, well, now you know two men can go <laughs> and apply mm. for a marriage license, which is taking the the traditional incentive of supporting a family and encouraging the traditional family in God's design and absolutely perverting it. And so there was another uh, 2023 Pew Research Center survey that found that American adults of all ages tend to say job satisfaction and having close friends are very important in order to live a fulfilling life. They are much less likely to say the same about being married or having children. And Walker, um, this is so sad as well. And and I still remember talking with my mom um, back, you know, in the in the nineties when and I was I was you know maybe ten at the time, but uh, <laughs> when the friend the the popular TV show Friends was on, and the whole idea that underpinned that show that was wildly popular um, in its mm-hmm. era and now interestingly is suggesting that you know this is. Uh, this was so anti-LGBT and they're trying to get it canceled. But it was so popular to say that you can choose your family and your friends become your family instead of your actual family that God has given you. And I think so many, especially college students um, and then beyond, tend to have that view of, well, family is who I choose to be around, not the people that God has actually given me. Mm. You know, Jenna, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you one thing from a, from a, I'm just talking from personal perspective as far as how I view things and how I plan my life accordingly under the will of the Lord and his providence, that there's going to be a lot of sad people in, in 20, 30, 40 years that are now maybe my age in their thirties or twenties. And they think that not having kids is the way to go. They think that not having kids is is the cool and hip thing to do in 2024. Uh, but as you grow old, um, family is 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 everything. Family is a lot. Maybe not everything, but family is just a lot. And the support system it provides. And I just think we're we're gonna have. I, I saw somebody put this out on X, but so we're gonna have. We're going to have a lot of lonely people in 40 years that are my age now. They're going to be 70. They didn't have kids because they thought it was a cool thing to not have kids and to just please themselves. But then they're going to look around and all their cool friends are gone from college and and there's nobody to spend the rest of their life with. Uh, So we've got to reverse this trend in society, and it really starts in the church. It starts in the Christian community. Uh, Abraham Hamilton III says all the time that we're to create culture. Christians are to create culture. And so this is one of those areas where we have to create a culture of life. The whole pro-life movement factors into this very much so, uh, but also the, the praising and the the rewarding act of having children is a blessing from the Lord, and we just have to repeat that message over and over again. And one last thing I'll say, Jenna, before we wrap up, is that we also have to go after this false premise that two men can get married. You mentioned this. Mm-hmm. We have to under the, undermine that at every single turn because the only true marriage is between one man and one woman. Amen to that. And marriage is the first institution that God has ordained and he created 
uh, that order in the family. And when we are rebelling against that or uh, with the rise of, you know, third wave feminism, and and I'm all for treating women as um, co-inheritors of the kingdom and, and, and certainly not less than men, but, but God also has very specific roles based on gender as an immutable characteristic. Women cannot be part of the ecclesia or the leadership in a church. Women can't be pastors, just like women cannot be husbands or fathers. And men, likewise, cannot be mothers. Uh, there, are, there are very specific gender roles. And if we are rebelling against God's created order and his design, or we are thinking that we can reject his design for the family and even churches, Walker, that sometimes are saying, um, you know, oh, just, you know, wait to get married. And, 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 and they're not telling young people, you need to be praying for your spouse. You need to be participating in your family. For me, being single, I still participate in the family God has given me. My parents are, are my closest friends, um, my brothers, my sister-in-law, my, my nephews, my niece. They are still my family. Mm. And, um, and, and that is God's created design. And if we are rebelling against that, we do so at our own peril. And you mentioned loneliness. We're seeing an epidemic of loneliness among young people in society that is leading to depression, even to suicide and some of these other things. Why? Well, because we're rebelling against what God told us would bring us not just happiness and fluffy, but actual joy. When we are in his will and we are following his commands for our lives, then guess what? He wrote the manual for how to live as human beings here on earth according to his will. And we need to strive daily to be in as well. So Walker Wildman, really appreciate your insights here. And you're absolutely right. We need to continue to pursue a moral and upright society and encourage our laws to reflect the truth of God's words. And that is why Christians and the church absolutely have to participate in civil society. So we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. If you're like most of us, you're paying way too much for healthcare. That's why I want to tell you about a ministry that has been meeting the healthcare needs of hundreds of thousands of Christians, and that's Christian Healthcare Ministries, chministries.org. Christian Healthcare Ministries is cost sharing made easy. For over 40 years, this unique model has allowed believers to choose their own doctors without worrying about networks or waiting periods, since they are not insurance, but a faith based alternative to insurance. Members not only get advanced Advantages from the affordability, flexibility, and reliability of CHM, but they also receive access to 24-7 telehealth services at no additional cost. It's no surprise that doctors across the country appreciate working with CHM, and so will you. It all starts with a visit to chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR. Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health share ministry serving all 50 states. Share the good news with a friend too. chministries.com slash AFR. Make the switch today with any time enrollment. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And speaking of the church engaging in politics and trying to create and help um, encourage a legitimate government and a moral and upright society, uh, there is a great article in firstthings.com by uh, my good friend Meg Basham. She is 
a uh, a commentary writer and a culture reporter for the Daily Wire, and this is called "Follow the Money to the After Party." It starts. Out this way, secular news outlets from NPR to the New York Times are hailing Tim Alberta's new book, The Kingdom, the Power, and the Glory, for furthering the popular thesis that evangelicals have abandoned themselves to political idolatry. And by political idolatry, they mean political conservatism, as neither Alberta's book nor the many prestige outlets enthusing over it have a word of criticism for Christians who advance left-wing causes. However, a curious passage in the book suggests that those leveling this charge may be the most guilty of infecting the church with partisanship. So joining me to discuss is the author, Meg Basham herself. And um, this is a great piece. So uh, follow the money to the after party. Yeah, yeah, that's an important thing to do. Hi, Jenna. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, so um, uh, so with, yeah, go ahead, because, um, you know, this, this, the after party, which is actually a, a program itself, you know, describe how um, th- this notion that the left is suggesting that the American church and the evangelical church is is becoming, you know, political idolaters, and yet they are totally enthusiastic about leftist Christians or people who have uh, kind of gone off the rails, like uh, David French, for example, and even, you know, some people, uh, of course, at Christianity Today, they're totally fine with those Christians who are embracing, for example, the LGBTQ agenda. Right. So, um, you know, the premise of this piece was that, of course, we've seen something of a cottage industry in recent years of books warning that conservative evangelicals are um, becoming, as you said, political idolaters, that they have brought political division into the church and created um, an evangelicalism that overly focuses on politics. Well, a little curious passage in Tim Alberta's book mentioned that David French, Russell Moore, and a guy named Curtis Chang came together to create this curriculum to teach churches, um, Christian students on college campuses. They, they designed it for Bible studies, small groups, all of that, how to be less politically divisive. Um, so one, that's an odd task to bring a politically uh, themed Bible study into churches if your goal is to depoliticize the church. But right. uh, so, so with that in mind, I did a little digging and found out that um, they said in Tim Alberta's book, and he thought this was a positive thing, that they could not get funding from Christians for this Bible study. So they turned to, he, and these were his words, mostly progressive secular funders. But he didn't provide any more information. So I went, okay, hang on a minute. Who are these secular funders? Did a little digging. Um, and it turns out it is people like Rockefeller Philanthropy Advisors, which, if you're not familiar with them, is a hard-left grant maker. Very large, very powerful, very old. They give money to things like uh, furthering abortion, furthering gender indoctrination, um, the mutilation of children. And they are funding this political Bible study to come into churches and college campuses through David French, Russell Moore, and Curtis Chang. So that was mind-blowing to me, and I reached out to the after party. Um, Specifically, I reached out to Chang, Moore, and French and asked them about this funding, Um, and they got back to me, not them specifically, but, you know, some some sort of PR flack, and said, well, we're going to update the frequently asked questions on the website. And what they updated it to reveal was that they are also taking money from the Hewlett Foundation, which if you're not familiar with them, they are the second 
largest private donor to Planned Parenthood in the country. So this is who uh, these particular men are partnering with to bring this curriculum into churches. Uh, So that was astonishing to me. Also looking at their partners, who they say is helping them get the word out and uh, move this curriculum into churches, a group called One America Movement did a little research on them. They are supposedly an ecumenical group, which means, you know, people of various religious faiths coming together for some good cause, except you check their board, and the people on their board include um, a female LGBTQ-affirming rabbi, and the supposed Christian on the board is a man who founded a Black Lives Matter chapter of Greater New York and has called Jesus a black radical revolutionary and defends rioting as self-defense. So, you know, hardly people who themselves are not politically divisive. And then, of course, you look at French, Moore, and Chang themselves. I don't think anybody looks at them and thinks, oh, here here are the guys to tone down the political rhetoric in the church. Um, Everybody kind of knows Russell Moore and David French as being very strident, never-Trumpers. But Curtis Chang, if you're not familiar with him, who is spearheading this effort, um, he is a he describes himself as a pro-life Democrat, but he's been very active in um, causes like getting Christians vaccinated. He ran a website called Christians and the Vaccine uh, that was funded in part by the federal government. And he likened the vaccine to um, Christ's redemption. So he said, oh, if there were aborted cells way back in the creation of this vaccine, well, it's now been redeemed uh, through its efficacy, just like Christ redeemed sinners. So really sort of bizarre analogies like that. Um, And, you know, he also did things like uh, encourage Christians not to vote to recall Governor Gavin Newsom of California, the most pro-abortion politician, arguably, in the country, and uh, he, he also has sort of smeared the church, saying the church at large owns what happened on January 6th. So that's just sort of a very broad overview of what I found. Wow. And, and this, Meg, is why I think you are one of um, the best journalists to follow right now for Christians, because so many churches are probably looking at this curriculum that is trying to infiltrate the church. And, you know, going to this website um, for the after party, their tagline is toward better Christian politics. We need to radically recenter on Jesus. Well, anytime, you know, something that is being sold towards churches uses the word radical, I'm always a little suspicious. But, um, but, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't look at this if you don't know all of that background and who is funding this program, you wouldn't look at this website and think, you know, oh, this is uh, this is being funded by all of these completely left wing anti Christian organizations. We need to have better Christian politics. We need to um, to focus on you know some of these good things and not be so divisive. And for churches who do engage in politics. And political issues, of course, it's going to be divisive. If you stand up for a pro-life message, that is divisive in today's society. It doesn't matter because truth is the truth. And Jesus even said that truth is going to be divisive. It's going to split, you know, even even families sometimes, um, because when you stand on truth, it's going to be controversial. And 
So pastors need to really take a look at these types of curriculums and not just assume because it's being led by people that hold themselves out to be Christian evangelicals like the David Frenches and the Russell Moores, uh, that these types of things are trustworthy. Yeah, and, you know, I'll add that I watched through all of this curriculum. It's a video series with, you know, some workbook material, and I went through all of it, and it was fairly insidious in the sense that, you know, they they stress throughout that political issues are very complex. You have to be very humble. You don't always know the right answer. And at a particular point when David French was making this point, they flash a woman with a pro-life sign on the screen. So the subtle visual messaging is that, hey, you shouldn't be voting based on issues like abortion alone. You know, you don't necessarily know that uh, the pro-life legislation is the right position to take. You have to be humble. So this was the messaging. Um, And and I'll tell you, there was very, very little Bible in it, almost none. Um, It it was largely just kind of this stressing of, um, well, we have to, to walk humbly, seek mercy, do justice, that kind of thing, which is a Bible verse, but they didn't delve into it in any significant way. And the only thing issue they thought was very clear that Christians need to act on was um, the issue of systemic racism. So you don't necessarily need to act on your pro-life convictions, but it's unquestionable that America is systemically racist and you do need to act on that. So when I saw that, I went, okay, now it makes sense why Rockefeller and Hewlett are funding this thing. Um, And, you know, just want to stress, too, uh, a president at a small Christian college let me know that the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities, which is very large, very influential in Christian higher education, it has 185 member schools, well, they sent out an email um, encouraging all of their member schools to bring this onto their campuses and to uh, have it in their student life ministries and in their pastoral training programs. So there has been a very big push for this thing that hard left secular funders are backing. So I really wanted to get the word out and tell people, if you see this after-party curriculum coming to your church, coming to your school, I would definitely demand to know why they are inviting this in. Absolutely. And so for anyone who is listening, you should be aware of what your church um, is bringing in and what uh, what books are being chosen, even in small groups, uh, what the the pastor is you know, basing messages out of. And if this um, is even remotely suggested to come to your to your church, then you need to send your pastor um, not just this segment as well. They can listen uh, to Megan Basham, my guest today, uh, but send the send her article from First Things that the headline there is follow the money to the after party. And, you know, this, this just goes down and, and, and says um, in this curriculum, you know, reframing the Christian political identity, a six session course challenges us to move from the what of ideology to the how of biblical virtue, adopting the posture of a disciple with Jesus as our teacher. I mean, this is just this screams woke to me, um, especially with their um, their, you know, multicolored uh almost LGBT looking BLM banner at the top. And, uh, and this is trying to infiltrate the churches with a message of Jesus as being so compassionate, so politically disengaged that it's, it is advancing a false Jesus. Yeah. And that was very much my impression as I watched through the curriculum that, you know, about 80% of it was 
mild pablum, nothing really of substance. Um, but the parts that were there, yes, they were very much saying Jesus does not expect you to know what to do when confronted with um, pro-life legislation. Should, is it okay to back a Joe Biden, who is the most pro-abortion um, candidate for president we've ever had? Well, it wasn't. It, it was kind of like you can't know. Maybe you can, and you should be humble with those who think that that's the right thing to do rather than speak out on it. So, you know, overall, my impression is that there's just been an all-out push, and ironically, we, we've seen that with um, some connected issues with uh, Russell Moore and Curtis Chang, that they were in this movie from Rob Reiner warning that, you know, Christians are, are becoming Christian nationalists and extreme. And then you watch the movie, and it's just basic um, political engagement. It's just basic civic engagement. And so all of this, to me, is part of an all-out push to suppress Christian influence in the public sphere. And I think that's important to note because we need to have an influence. And even if our neighbors disagree with us, I think we need to have the confidence of Christ of going, actually, um, Christian policies, the things that are moral according to God's law, are good for everybody. It is good for our neighbor to prevent the murder of babies. Um, It's good for our neighbor to prevent gender indoctrination of children. So I I think we need to actually, I I have the opposite message of this curriculum, which is that we need to be confident in what God has told us and what we know is the moral order. Absolutely. We need to be confident in what the Bible says. And it's so fascinating to me to see um, someone like a David French who used to be um, a, a, more of a mainstream evangelical. And then because of the never Trump posture has, in my view, just totally gone off the rails. And this is where if you allow uh, politics and the political personalities to shape your worldview instead of being focused on the Bible and the things of God, you can very easily get off track. And this is why for Christians, we always have to stand firm on what the Bible teaches, be bold and courageous in advancing truth wherever we can in church, in our families, in civil society, but always make sure that we are uh, are comparing and contrasting what what we think to the objective moral standard because it is it is the one of the most scary things to think you know we could so easily get off track if we lose sight of that objective standard and i'm seeing a lot of um evangelicals and churches unfortunately that are catering to this kind of thing because they end up compromising on you know, maybe a, a small, they think a small issue, but that will lead to further and further and further damage until their church or their witness looks wholly unlike biblical truth. Um, so again, this is a, uh, this is an article in firstthings.com. It's called Follow the Money to the After Party by Meg Basham, who also uh, writes for The Daily Wire. You should read everything that she writes. Um, really, really important stuff. And make sure that your church is not allowing this insidious program into its doors. It's called the After Party Toward Better Christian Politics. You can find it at redeemingbabble.org. Or, uh, and uh, this is just, this is a terrible thing when churches take their positions from, not from the Bible, but instead from a culture that is rapidly descending toward a godless society and under this guise of focusing on Jesus, we end up presenting a false Jesus. So you can always reach me and my team, Jenna, at AFR.net. I'll see you tomorrow morning.
I want to thank my sponsors, Preborn and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Preborn Network Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day they save 200 babies' lives. But they can't do it without our help. Will you head over to preborn.com slash AFR and sponsor an ultrasound? Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health cost sharing ministry, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. Make the switch today and start saving. Visit chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR.